Welcome into the latest edition of that podcast ground. Paul Dana Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you here on a Wednesday. It's, it is Wednesday, Jay. It's it is. our Tuesday. Uh, and the game's on Monday. And New Year's Day's on Sunday. This, I, 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 have, I will have zero clue of knowing what day it is all week. Right, two weeks in a row. Because last week the game was on Saturday. I had no idea what day it was. Uh, but we do have we have sunshine. It's starting to warm up a little bit. It's going to be in the fifties for the game. Um, let's just kick this thing off. This is going to be one of the biggest games in Paycor history. It will, and we've got a lot to get to in that regard. Uh, thanks to everybody that is watching here on YouTube. If you are, feel free to drop any thoughts, comments, uh, reviews. Just tell us how beautiful we look. I got a new computer. I think it's crisped me up. It's got an extra shine. <laughs> <laughs> on 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 the old skull here, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, if you want to tell me how good that looks, feel free. Uh, but either way, great to have you all here. You, if you're on YouTube, you just saw us talk to Eric Wood, who, if you're listening on, on uh, the regular podcast, we're going to have Eric Wood come on the show. Awesome, awesome interview. Very excited about that. Uh, of course, Elder High School grad, Louisville, nine years with the Bills. He's now their radio color commentator, but he is a true Cincinnati and through and through, and he's about to check every single Cincinnati box <laughs> off for you. This is kind of the Eric Wood game in a lot of ways as a homecoming uh, for him. We will have Mo Egger come join us here in a little bit. Uh, excited about to have him on. We'll do all our normal things we do with Mo. And we've got a bunch of odds and ends that we need to tick through here as we get ready for Bengals Bills this week. We'll have our fr- the Friday show also previewing uh, the game, uh, Joe Biscaglia will will join us uh, for that one. Uh, you can hear him coming out of Buffalo, talking about everything with the Bills, too. Um, then our big Sunday, New Year's Day, 12.30 p.m. at the 50 West uh, Compound. I guess we should say uh, it's going to be looks like it's gonna be nice weather. looks like it's going to be no rain, 50, 50 some degrees. Great day to come out, have some beers. Myself, it's a joint podcast with Tyler Dunn at Go Long TD. Uh, Tyler, very excited to come in and do that. So some of the Go Long TD people hear that podcast growling people, Bengals, Bills people going to be a great time to uh, just enjoy uh, a beautiful facility, some delicious beer and talk some football, hang out. We'll be there watching uh, the one o'clock window in the big tent there. So, Big, big. We got so much content, Jay. I know. Doesn't stop. Doesn't stop. It really doesn't stop. Uh, so, all right. Let's uh, let's get this thing moving, and let's talk a little bit about some of the the, the injury news. Continues to be a big part of this. Uh, as far as injuries, we've got from yesterday. I mean, it's Hayden Hurst looking good. Looking mm-hmm. good like Hayden Hurst is going to be back, make his return from that calf injury this weekend. Zach Taylor saying, you know, he had a good week last week, but it was just close enough and it was going to be so cold in New England. He thought, you know, nine days on the back end of it where he'll be absolutely great by the time he returns. So Hayden Hurst should be back in full on Monday against the Bills. I mean, we saw him do the same thing with Jamar Chase, where he probably could have come back. They hold him one more week. When you're on a run like this, when you have your backups playing as well as they are, you you can afford to do this. And I, I do. I I think that was the right decision. Hamstrings, I think more than other, any other injury, are kind of 
exacerbated by weather, whether it's, you know, being slick and slipping or uh, the cold can affect it. I just think that that was the right call to hold him out one more week. Uh, so Lowell Collins, as we know, ACL, we talked about this on the live room that we did on Monday. He's going to be out for the year. The Bengals are sort of the fallout from that continues. I have a story up now sort of ticking through all the different elements of the fallout from this Collins injury. Um, you know, Akeem Adeniji is next man up and, and he's going to take over, you know, talk to him at length a little bit yesterday about taking on this role, why he feels prepared for it. Don't forget, this is a guy that started throughout the postseason run last year at guard as they were going through all their options there. And look, didn't play well. Nobody really played well on the line uh, over the course of that run, certainly on the interior. There's a reason that they went and replaced everybody. Uh, but when he came back this year, the only way he was going to survive was by proving he could move back out the tackle where he played in college. And Really acquitted himself well, earned the job through a good preseason, earned even more trust early in the year when he was playing behind the scenes in the sort of competition with Deontay Smith, has come in as the sixth tight end. And the other element about this is, you know, LC on Wednesdays has been a Mm -hmm. non-participant. They've been trying to just ease him through this, keep him through all year with not being a participant in Wednesday practices. So every Wednesday, now that's not their hard day. They go hard on Thursday. Every Wednesday, Akeem Adeniji is playing right tackle in there next to Kappa, going through all the communication stuff. It makes for a really smooth chemistry to step in at right tackle because communication is not going to be an issue. I mean, he's gone through it all year. They're not out there in pads on Wednesdays, but you're going through everything. And, uh, you know, so there's a hope that he will be able to smoothly step in. Yeah, I asked Ted Karras about that yesterday, and he said, absolutely, that's a huge benefit just for him to get the nuances and the the, the camaraderie, the chemistry with the guys on the field on those Wednesdays. Another thing I always go back to with the Denigy is that 2020 Senior Bowl when the Bengals coached down there, they were – they were really upset. They thought they were getting him on his roster. Kansas was right on that border of North and South. They coached the South. They didn't get him and they monopolized all of his time in the lunchroom. They, they really liked this guy. And it was, it was Jim Turner at the time, but Brian Callahan, they would sit with him at lunch and just talk to him and pick his brain the entire lunch period. They've been high on this guy since before they even drafted him. And, and so they hope he can be the guy, but here's the thing about this time of year, Jay. Figure out a way to win this week. Yep. And there is no guarantees that Akeem Adeniji will be the guy going forward. He's got to hold it down. Like, mm-hmm. look, Isaiah Prince is here, and people may forget about that. Uh, he was, he's on the practice squad. He's fully healthy. He's been fully healthy. There's a reason they put him on the practice squad. He was their right tackle last year when they went to the Super Bowl. Right. And so when we start talking about Deontay Smith being in the mix potentially – uh, and what would happen, uh, who's going to come in next if they need it, who's going to play swing tackle. Experience is of the utmost importance right now, okay? You need people. The stages are going to be big. You better know what you're getting. there, And you know what you're getting with Isaiah Prince. Uh, you've seen it. He's played in the Super Bowl. He's played in AFC Championship. You've won huge games with him. There's a real value in that. And so right now, Akeem Adeniji is the guy, but a guy who got them to the Super Bowl, helped them get to the Super Bowl last year, whatever you thought about their line or not, is sitting there. So if it's a struggle and it doesn't go well for a week or two, 
they can certainly, they have no problem pulling the trigger and moving on to Isaiah Prince if they need to. Maybe Deontay Smith, I don't know, but I think the unknown of Deontay Smith probably pushes him down the line. They haven't made any decisions on that. They're going to see how that plays out. But I think there's a real unknown with him that you're probably uncomfortable with. At least you know who Prince is. He's played in big stages. It's not going to scare him. That's going to matter this time of year. And I think he's waiting in the wings in case there's any issues. I mean, we saw this team last year was not afraid to cycle guys, do couple series on, couple series off in, in big, important games. So I do. I fully expect Isaiah Prince to be a practice squad elevation on Saturday or on Sunday. I guess it'll be because the game's Monday and he will be uh, waiting. If, if, if Hakeem struggles at all, they will not hesitate to go to him. And it's interesting, too, that Prince is a little bit taller, a little bit longer, and the Bills have Greg Rousseau, who is a long, long, tall um defensive end that'll be an interesting matchup there to see how Hakeem holds up against him and maybe the the measurables lead to a switch yeah so keep keep all of that in mind as we go forward also gotta address Andrew Whitworth right uh so (laughs) look I I I I have one thing to say about this so I asked I I asked Zach Taylor I wanted to get his comment on it but I did I look I kind of wanted to tell a joke and so I sort of set it up with the idea of like yeah you know when you have an injury on the offensive line how realistic is it that somebody who let's just say is in their mid 40s and happened to be working maybe just maybe say Amazon or something like that could actually come in and play here it Zach Taylor laughed. Now, everybody is suggesting that he was laughing at the concept of Andrew Whitworth coming here. I contend no. <laughs> my joke was funny. Don't take my joke away from me. I think it was because my setup on the joke. You can say anything about me as a writer. You can call me a hack. You can say my podcast sucks. Don't tell me that I didn't have a good joke once. Okay? That's what's important to me. Uh, so, But anyway, he sort of laughed about it and said, we like the guys that we have in the building. Um Andrew Whitworth on the Peter Schrager, the season podcast addressed it um, and said, look, um, never say never. I I'm open to adventures. I'd have to sit down with Melissa and talk through it. Uh, Obviously it wasn't, it was certainly not a, I wouldn't want to do it. Here's the thing. The thing that's surprising about why it probably wouldn't happen is one, he is on reserve retired and there's complications in that with the Rams and the Bengals and how would he get over here? Two, he's never played right tackle before, okay? So he even expressed that on Peter Schreiger's podcast. Look, mm. at going from left to right, he goes, I, I, I've talked to Jalen Ramsey, uh, talking to Richard Sherman. Like, going to left to right is really hard, and I don't know how I would do I've never played on the right side. I don't know how hard that would be. They talk about how hard it is to switch. I don't know if I could do that. He said, I wouldn't want to put their season at risk with me not knowing how I would do with that. That's not fair to them. Uh, he, he said specifically, if I came out and played left tackle, I know I could do that. I, could, he, I basically said I could come off the street and play left tackle for you. Uh, but he doesn't know how I could do it with right. And those are kind of really the real reasons uh, mm. why this is not happening. So which is why I have said, if another injury were to occur, let's just say Jonah Williams went down and suddenly you're down both tackles. To me, now it's much more interesting, the Andrew Whitworth call. Now it's much more of a possibility of something that you would have to be thinking all options on the table if you're just trying to get to the Super Bowl. And Andrew Whitworth never saying never as he did suggests, I think that is a call that could be made if it went that direction. But this direction is a, we like everybody we have in the building. Yeah, I mean that would be desperation if something were to happen to Joan. And I, I hate even talking about. It. I don't want it to be no, spoken no, no, into no, no. existence. Yeah, exactly. But, but I, I still, I think 
you know, Witt said he could come in and off the couch and play left tackle. I, I'm sure he believes that. I'm not sure how effective he would be. I remember, what, several years ago, they signed Eric Winston off the street, and he came in and played right away after Andre Smith got hurt. But he was working out. He was expecting to maybe get a call at some point. I don't know. Witt's been doing the Amazon thing. I don't know how much. I mean, I think he was at peace with the decision to retire. I don't know how much he's still trying to to stay. He looks great. But football shape, regular shape, completely different things. It's just uh, it was a fun topic for a few days. But um, I did. I enjoy I laughed at your joke. And I think a lot of the other writers, a lot of the other writers (laughs) did, too. There was there was a noticeable (laughs) in the room. Yeah, that's what you want. You just you just want that reaction. (laughs) That's all. That's all you want. All right. Let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Let's bring in our good friend and yours, Mo Egger from ESPN 1530. Hello, Mo. How's it going? What's happening? How are we doing? Not too much. Just uh, just you're hanging out. I tried. I tried, Mo. I I tried to get Zach Taylor to live your dream. Thank and you. Make your dream be a reality. Uh, he laughed at my joke and mm-hmm. also dismissed the possibility of Whitworth for now. Yes, I'll put a, I'll put a for now. On he that. did. He did. But Andrew Whitworth. No, said, did not. Never say never. Yes. So as far as I'm concerned, we're just, we're stirring it up. Keep stirring this is the it. motion you make when you're, yeah. when you're stirring stuff up. Andrew Whitworth kept it alive by not telling uh, <laughs> Peter Schrager no on his, on yeah. his podcast. He didn't just not say no. He went into a <laughs> lot of detail of why he would maybe eventually say yes. Sure. <laughs> he outlined well, well. how it would work. Yes. yes. I mean, he, he outlined, like he outlined how. It's like if 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 I come to my wife and I'm like, look, me and my buddies want to go away for a week, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I'm probably not going to go. But then I would outline, well, here's when we would leave, and here's what we would do, and here's stay, and here's what it would cost. Eventually, she's going to be like, yeah, okay, you want to go on the trip. So <laughs> as long as Andrew Whitworth is keeping this alive, damn it, so will I. Look, you you bring this up perfectly, Mo, and I'd like to point this out that anybody knows, especially if you've been married a long time, if the way you handle something you want to do is you you just casually drop the seed, drop the bomb and run away, right? And then you return yes. the next day amid the rubble to see if there's any chance that your dream survived after it had a day to sink in of the new reality like uh, how about so? Yeah, John. He mentioned a bachelor trip to Vegas for like a week. I don't know. And then you run and you don't come back for a day. <laughs> and then you just see how that sat and see what chances you've got. This is what Andrew Whitworth did. I'm more of a forgiveness now, instead of permission. Yeah, Jay just does it. <laughs> yeah, Jay just does it. The, 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 the caveat, having been a a an Andrew Whitworth esque grizzled veteran of multiple marriages, what I would tell you is the more direct approach is probably the more sustainable one. But as somebody yeah. who has tried both, I get it. I look. I mean, he's he's outlining like, well, I'd have to see if I was in shape. I'd have to talk to my wife. I wouldn't want to let down Joe Burrow. I mean, he he took it and and ran with it. Now, yeah. I mean, there, there's all the the logistical stuff of like, I don't know, can a 41 year old man who hasn't played football in 11 months and probably hasn't been working out, can he step in and play at an acceptable enough level to help this team win a championship and and be ready to go here in a couple of weeks? There's there's all of that, and I, I mean, for as much fun as this is, and for as much fun as I ch- am choosing to have with the Andrew Whitworth thing, even if you are pounding the table, insisting that. Uh, Andrew come back to Cincinnati that they bring wit home. Uh, I saw people offering 
Reds season tickets, which I'm not sure <laughs> that's the inducement that's really going to kick this over the goal line, but, but, but okay. The reality is, even if he does come back, he's not going to come back in time for Monday. Like, we understand that, right? Mm, you yeah. could turn up your nose at Akeem Adeniji playing right tackle, but, I mean, Andrew Whitworth isn't going to walk off the set at uh, at Amazon on Thursday, throw on the number 77, and be, you know, playing 70 snaps on, on Monday night. So, in the short term, you got Akeem Adeniji, and Akeem Adeniji on Monday has a chance to get people to shut up about Andrew Whitworth. And I'm interested in seeing if he does. All right. Uh, Mo, uh, that was a, a well-formed take, which sets us up for three downs, yeah. which means you give you 40 seconds to offer a well-informed take uh, and hit the post. You have been excellent, basically undefeated at this. Uh, over the course of us inventing it on the fly. And so I, I look forward to seeing if you can do that today. I, again, have my handy-dandy high-tech phone that I'm going to hold up to a screen for us to see how it goes. Are you, uh, are you ready? I am uh, ready and excited. Okay, here we go. I'm going to start with how legitimate <clears throat> is Joe Burrow's case for MVP? Uh, pretty legitimate. Look, if, if they end up being the number one seed in the AFC and obviously some things will have had to happen and he will have beaten head to head Patrick Mahomes, who is right now the odds on favorite, and he will have beaten Josh Allen and he will have played in more games than Jalen hurts. I don't know. I don't know how you at least don't take a very serious, hard look at his candidacy beyond just the surface level stuff, which is, I think, what we're all doing right now. I, I have a quarterback that has a bona fide chance to lead his team to a division title and Five. still the number one seed in the AFC. He's having an excellent season. How is he not an MVP candidate? Love it. Well done. Well done. Mm. The thing is, that's a hard one because that could be one that you would probably would spend. Well, we have spent hours on at this point yeah and and i i sort of thought with this performance against the giants jalen hurts clinched it but then he didn't play this past week by the way the philadelphia offense really didn't skip a beat against dallas and mm. I, I don't know what that's going to do to his candidacy I, I don't believe that a player has to play in every single game every single meaningful game that his team plays in i don't i don't subscribe to the theory that well because hurts missed a meaningful game we're eliminating him that's that's very short-sighted but how how is if you're a voter if you're an mvp voter you're at least sitting down and carefully vetting out joe's candidacy you may prefer patrick mahomes you may prefer jalen hurts you may prefer josh allen you may prefer somebody else but joe is more than just a fringe mvp candidate i i just took extra time there Bengals win third. If Bengals win Monday, thirty-five to twenty-seven, and Joe Burrow throws for four hundred four and three touchdowns and no interceptions, guess what? The he's odds are going to look like on Tuesday. I'm just yeah. going to tell you, he's going to probably flip so, over top and be so, right so, even. So with here's the thing: I, I know we're going to make bets, but like this is if you believe the Bengals are going to win on Monday, chances are it's not going to be twelve nine. It's going to occur in the shoulders of elite quarterback play, where he stares down one of the best in the league. If you believe the Bengals are going to win the football game then I would make my Joe Burrow MVP bet now, which I, I think it's anywhere from plus 550 to 600. It was at plus 1,000 a couple of weeks ago, dipped to 800, went back down to 600, then shot back up to about 900. If you think they're winning on Monday, then I would buy the Joe Burrow MVP wager today because the, the, the value is never going to be better. Uh, I am excited that uh, you mentioned that. Uh, so my second down is 
betting in Ohio begins on January 1st. What is the importance of this uh, locally in your mind? It's just more convenient for people who already do it for me. I don't know that you're going to have somebody who on January the 1st is like, hmm, I've never made a wager before. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Oh, let's take a look at the card. Oh, the Ravens are playing the, the Steelers. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think the ease of it is to me what stands out more than anything. The in-game possibilities are what stand out to me more than anything. So, for instance, the Bengals are trailing 17-0. You're feeling confident. It's going to be a lot easier for you to go in-game and make that wager Five. than it is driving to Indiana. Love it. Three seconds left on the clock. Uh, let's go to the third uh, topic here, and that is it is going to be, you know, Black Monday will be upon us here soon. Uh, head coaches have already been fired. We saw Nate, Nate Hackett go down uh, in Denver. Luana Rumo, Brian Callahan, who are you most rooting for to see get a head coaching gig? I'm most rooting for Lou because it's a really cool story. This dude who was like seemingly their eighth choice to be defensive coordinator that felt like after year one, he was the least popular guy in town, puts together a couple of great defenses and rides that to an NFL coaching gig in a day and age in which everybody is preferring younger coaches and offensive oriented coaches. He will have defied a lot of different things to get the gig. And chances are he is not the guy they're talking about in Denver today being the head coach. So I am rooting like heck for him. Also, I don't know how many more opportunities he's going to have because he is older and not as directly attached to Joe Burrow as Brian Callahan. All right. Well done. You're just you're just a pro's <laughs> pro at this point. Uh, it's it's really something to watch. I got to you know, I got to sit there and watch the magic uh, on Monday for three magic. hours. Yes. Magic. Three hours of, of magic sitting in a very comfortable chair near a fireplace in a crowded restaurant. And uh, it's just it was it, nice. Just continue to just see. The pros pro just just unfold right before our eyes. I don't want either of those guys to go. That 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 is a pit. That yeah. is a that is a death pit. That is a that is where careers go to die. You're gonna go coach in the same division as Herbert Mahomes. The cap space issue is awful. Russell Wilson stinks. Nobody knows about the ownership. They've given up a bunch of draft capital. I would beg both guys, don't just go for any one of the 32. Go for one of the better available of the 32. You can't convince me that Denver's at the top of that list. No, Brian Callahan interviewed in Denver last year, and and I said this on Monday with you. If if I were Brian Callahan and I interviewed and they offered me that job, I don't think I'd take it. You're going to get one shot. Do you want to be the next Nathaniel Hackett where Russell Wilson killed your career and your reputation? Yeah. Uh, where he could stay here, continue to be with Joe Burrow, and and another another job that's a better fit can come open. And maybe he loves Denver, and he lo he came up there, and sure. it's just a special place for him and his family, and he feels like he can fix Russell Wilson. Maybe that's the case. I would petition that he will have other opportunities that might be better fits. And going there and trying to hitch your career wagon to fixing Russell Wilson at this point ain't it. Yeah, I think a lot of up-and-coming coaches might turn that down. An interesting name that, that could – what if that's Marvin landing there? Mm. That's a spot where mm. – I mean, he's trying to get back in the league. A lot of these young guys aren't going to take that job because it is such an anchor. I just – I think that would be an interesting – now, they just tried the defensive route two years ago with Fangio. didn't work out, so I don't know if they would go another defensive guy. But you, you get a bridge guy in Marvin who's done it before, can kind of maybe try to get things straightened out. I think that's a, an interesting possibility.
There's only one thing you can say about that. We'll see. Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to the betting recap here. Our completely fictional fake money is coming close to the end here. Jay trying to make a charge. I believe I'm still in the lead. What's our updated standings? Well, I, I do want to point out that four weeks ago, Mo did take Joe Burrow to win MVP at plus 800. So that is a rather large pending bet mm. that they're still sitting out there. Yes. Um, Currently, Paul in the lead, plus 246, Mo at plus 195.4. I'm at 72.6. We all went one and one last week. Uh, Paul and I both won by half a point, taking the Bengals Patriots over. It was 39 and a half, and it hit at 40. Uh, Mo had Bengals minus three and a half. Um, we all tried parlays and lost. <laughs> Sounds about right. That's about how most of those end up going. All right, Mo, what do you got for this week? Question of motivation in Tennessee where their game against uh, Dallas doesn't mean anything to the Titans, right? It all comes down to that Week 18 matchup against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Short week, team that has absolutely gone to the toilet with nothing to play for. They're getting 9.5 points. I think Dallas covers this number. Thursday night football favorites of 7 or more points since 2010 are covering at a 60% clip. And teams coming off a short week after winning a division game by 3 or more points, 74-47-2. and two, I like Dallas. I'll lay the nine and a half. Uh, Bengals, Bills, uh, it's basically a pick'em game. The value to me here is with the over. Uh, I'm worried about the Cam Taylor-Brett factor here. It, it sort of feels like this is it's it's leaking, and at some point the inexperience is going to be picked on. I think the Buffalo Bills can pick on him, but uh, even without Lyle Collins, I think the Bengals' offense is going to hum. I love the over here. The weather is going to be pretty nice. We're not going to have the Arctic conditions uh, that we've been dealing with here. It's going to be high of 60 on Monday, and so that's maybe conducive to, to a lot of points. And, and look, if, if you think they're winning this football game, then buy the Bengals' AFC championship odds now because they're going to drastically go down. If the Bengals win this game, obviously they're very much in the driver's seat for the two seed, and who knows what happens with Kansas City. They could still get the one. The odds from here moving forward, if they win, if you think they're going to win the game on Monday, are probably never going to be any better this changes differently if they lose the game, if they don't win the division. But I like the over. I'm going to go 10 units each over Cincinnati, Buffalo, Dallas, minus nine and a half, minus nine and a half over Tennessee. Those odds might be going off the board if they win Monday night. If yeah. the Ravens lose to the Steelers, which is a very good chance. Um, what What is the over under on Buffalo, Cincinnati? 49 and a half. As of 40, this morning, it was 49 and a okay. half. I'll lock you in at that. Um, I, I, the Bengals have just been great. They're they're on this this run. They've been great against the spread. They're covering everything. I'm I'm gonna go with them at plus one and a half. I just think the home field. Um, I think it's gonna be a fantastic game and really close, really exciting for the fans. But I I just it just feels like the Bengals have it rolling right now and they're doing it without playing a full game. Uh, they will need to do that against Buffalo, but I I think they've got it in them. Um, I don't, I can't remember if we've done any. I think we have. We've done some non NFL wagers on here i allow so, it i'll allow um, it jay you do whatever you got to do to get back i'm i'm gonna do a parlay and i'm gonna take ohio university minus one and a <laughs> half against is. wyoming on friday wow. and the ohio state buckeyes plus six and a half uh against georgia on saturday i'm going 13 on the bengals and seven on the parlay wow um well for if we're going that way then i have an and Actually, I'm pretty sure that I have an easy way to go with this because I am in love 
with the Ohio State-Georgia line. The Bulldogs are going to destroy Ohio State uh, no, in that not. game. So I'll go ahead and put 19 fictional units on uh, on Georgia covering the six and a half. Is that way? Is it still sitting at yeah. six and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go ahead and go that just to mess with Jay because it just feels like something I'd like to do. <laughs> uh, and then I'll take one on the over as well in uh, Bengals, Bills. And uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's where the value lives uh, in that one. All right, we'll see how it all plays out. Jay, you're gonna be you're gonna be very focused and stationed at your house for Ohio State and Georgia on New Year's Eve. Yeah, right? th- this is a sore subject. I don't know if my wife's in earshot or not, but Here we go again. But yeah, New Year's Eve party. Um, and I, I told her I, I'm staying home to watch the game. I don't want to be somewhere where the game's on. I want to watch the game and focus on the game. So uh, hopefully the game will end before midnight. I can get to the party by midnight and celebrate with everybody. Jay, if you were trying to keep a secret, I would say into a microphone that goes to the internet ain't the best spot. But <laughs> oh, it's me. not a, it's not a secret. I just she's here. I just don't want to yeah. start. I don't want to start the conversation again. Uh, I mean, isn't it? <laughs> I would love a, that. I wish Nikki would come running in from the living room, <laughs> jump over the packages of liquid death behind you, and just start screaming about. It. I would love. Is that. it a party with? other Ohio state fans, or is it one of those functions where nobody's really into the team you care about or the sport that you're watching? And so, cause if it's a party with a bunch of Ohio state fans and you all share a similar, share a similar interest, that sounds fun, but Oh boy, if it's one of those deals where nobody cares about this game, nobody cares about these teams. And I have to get expert opinions from people who haven't watched this sport all season long during the biggest game of the year, then I'm with you. I am. It- it is it's a bunch of Ohio State fans, so they'll all be watching the game. But it's it's just the conversations go off to everything but the game, and it just it drives me crazy. I just I want to listen to the announcers and focus like I'm covering a game, just locked in on it. Well, the good okay. thing for you, Jay, is that they'll be down by so much entering the fourth quarter that you can just go <laughs> right in there and celebrate your New Year's Eve. All right, I, I I know that we have a lot of Ohio State fans that listen to this. I'm I, I am partially doing this to mess with Jay. I ha- hope you don't feel personally offended by uh, my thoughts on this game. Also, the Bulldogs are a wagon. Uh, all right, thank <laughs> Mo. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, See you guys. Take care. All right, let's just take a quick break. All right, always great catching up with Mo. Uh, one thing I want to touch on before we uh, get to Eric Wood uh, here for the for the uh, audio version, those that are not watching here on YouTube. Um, one thing I want to get to is a little bit of just the similarities between these two teams. Uh, Jay are quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring something up to you. Uh, and tell me this. So they're both – the Bengals are on a seven-game win streak. The Bills are on a six-game win streak. Um, these – I'm going to run off some stats for you. Jay, you like stats. Do you like stats? I do. I do. I thought you did. Um, and quizzes. And quizzes. Here is just some stats over the last six games, okay, comparing the Bengals and Bills. And you tell me how similar these two teams are. Obviously, both are 6-0. and Now, versus the spread, Bengals are 6-0 and over this stretch. The Bills are 3-3, three and three, for whatever that means mm. to you. Points per drive on offense, Bengals 2.43, Bills 2.51. Opponent points per drive, Bengals 1.8, Bills 1.7. Turnover margin, Bengals 0, Bills 1. 
Total touchdowns, Bengals 19, Bills 19. Yards per play, Bengals 5.67, Bills 5.67. Third down defense, Bengals 41.7%, Bills 34.6%. EPA per attempt, Bengals 0.18, Bills 0.18. You know my favorite, adjusted net yards per attempt, Bengals 6.92, Bills 6.24. Opponents record over this stretch, Bengals opponents 46 and 44, Bills 38 and 51. So basically the difference being if you were to swap out uh, Bears record versus Chiefs record mm-hmm. is kind of where every, everything else is kind of five games against similar type teams. And then the one difference is the Bengals had the, the super hard game against the Chiefs and the Bills had a little easier one at the Bears. That's the list. I mean, these two teams, they're both explosive. They're both efficient. They're both well-rounded. They're both in the top tier. They do. They, they just are insanely similar. It, it is it is remarkable when you really start digging through those numbers, exactly how similar they've been of late on these win streaks. Um, the, these there's nothing to say about this game other than Pickham was the only way that needed to open because it's coin flip. I was just gonna say there's a reason that this game opened as a Pickham because they are so similar and. You know, the the other thing that away from the number, just the complimentary aspect of it, where n- neither of them are dominating teams um, of late. And it's you if the Bengals have a half where the offense is sluggish, the, the defense steps up. And it's the same with the Bills that everybody focuses on Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and, and what what that offense can do. And I think people sleep on that Bills defense. It is really, really good. I, I think it, it, it's better than the Bengals defense, and the Bengals defense has been terrific this year. Um, I just, I mean, would it surprise you if the score is tied at the end of the first quarter, tied at half, tied at the third quarter, and it comes down to whichever quarterback has the ball last? I mean, that, that feels like what this game is heading toward. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, there's, I feel like that's the area where maybe I want to focus this conversation is that if there is one thing that has maybe been a little bit of a difference, it has been what we talk about a lot on this, and that is always a burrow differentiator. The high leverage moments, man, like in high leverage, red zone third downs, fourth quarter close games, we have seen it time and time again, he's as good as anybody in this league and has been. Whereas Josh Allen has been great in those moments. He has also at times been, as Nate Tice dubbed him, Professor Chaos. Yep. Occasionally, it gets a little wild. They've had red zone interceptions. They've had issues down there. I mean, there's been decisions where you're like, whoa, and he makes amazing plays that no, almost no one in the league can make. And we'll talk a lot more about Allen and Burrow later in the week. Um, they're very different quarterbacks, right? I mean, Burrow, the king of efficiency and high leverage, and Josh Allen, the king, the superhero who can make every throw and is the somehow a mix of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, they they are very different quarterbacks. It's what makes this game extra fun. Uh, but it makes when you're looking for differentiators and you think that's what the game is going to be, 
if the Bengals can get it to that, to me, that's playing into their strength, Burrow's strength. I mean, you're right. You look at the interceptions Joe Burrow's thrown until last week, the couple of miscommunications, they were almost all of them were were tip passes. They they were not decision based. And just go watch that game last week. Buffalo against Chicago. There those couple the, the what you were talking about where you're thinking, oh my God, what is he doing? Josh Allen had two or three of those where he just basically threw the ball up for grabs in the end zone. Um and, and the Bears had had a shot to pick him off. He leads the league, 29 turnover-worthy plays. The pro football focus stat. That Burrow does not put the ball in danger. Josh Allen does. And it's going to come to can the Bengals defense capitalize on that? And, and you if it's if it's late and you're behind or you're tied, Josh Allen's done this more often, but I, I think you would have to be more comfortable with Joe Burrow trying to direct a game-winning drive because you know he's not going to put the ball in danger, whereas you don't know what you're going to get with Josh Allen. And it's it's not just these third third and longs where he's trying to force something to happen. A lot of these turnover-worthy plays happen on first and second downs where he doesn't need to do it. And I think sometimes he – he just trusts his arm strength that is an incredible talent a little too much and thinks he can make every play. And I think Burrow has more of a, a an understanding of what needs to be done and what can be done. And as a result, he ends up getting it done. That said, you got to get the game to that point. Yeah. Because the Bills can just straight run it up, man. Like there's just there's no question about it. They they're well rounded and they also have the ability to to score in bunches and they can they you know they can get 250 yards on the ground. Just as easily. Now, and that's kind of where I think you look at the Bengals and Lou Anarumo with the history against Lamar Jackson. Done well there. Mahomes, what we've seen them do. Mm -hmm. A lot is going to be now. This is the first time we get to see what Lou Anarumo's plan is here. Probably some sort of hybrid uh, Lamar-Mahomes plan. It's about containment. And I think they'll miss Sam Hubbard for that respect, who was such a key to that. Hendrickson and Hubbard. Their relentlessness, their ability to rush with discipline, you know, allowed Luana Rumo to do the drop eight, rush three, contain scrambleness. And, but a guy like Mike Hilton, right, helps you, his ability to help with contain, to be a little bit of a chess piece. There's a lot of things there, but how Luana Rumo chooses to attack this different type of quarterback is going to be fascinating. And if you guys are excited for this game, which I think everybody is, this this it, we've seen Burrow versus Mahomes three times in a calendar year. Very good chance it could be Burrow versus Allen three times in a calendar year because obviously Monday night, don't rule out a playoff matchup. And if the Bengals do win the division, that means Buffalo comes back to pay core next season. So it's 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 been a long time coming, but we could be getting these these Josh Allen, Joe Burrow matchups in bunches coming soon. Yeah. And and for my money, like, I think – I hate to do this. I In fact, I already regret what I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the Bills and the Bengals are a tick above the Chiefs. Yeah. I, I think the well-rounded nature of these two teams – the Chiefs just don't have that defense, right? Their offense is spectacular. And 
But I think the Bills and Bengals offenses can be and have been just as spectacular. Certainly at times, I think Mahomes is more consistent in putting up big numbers. And this is—I don't want this ever to come across as a ding against the Chiefs. You are picking some serious nits, man, if you are mm. trying to differentiate between these three teams. But I think the well-rounded, just the defense that that the Bengals have been able to bring and that the Bills consistently bring, versus the fall off that you have versus the Chiefs' defense. Um, is the difference, not, and, and so I think these are the two best teams in the AFC, which is not to say even for a second anyone would blink if the Chiefs were back in the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl this year because the difference is is, is small, but I do think there's a tick difference. Yeah, well, and not just on defense, but the, the weapons around the quarterbacks, the the Bengals uh, skill guys and the Bills skill guys, It's it's the, the Chiefs have done a nice job in replacing Tyreek Hill, but Travis Kelsey, one of the best tight ends ever, but you look that, that wide receiver group's not special, and and their running backs are just. I mean, McKinnon's coming on, and Pacheco's a rookie, but you, I, I think anybody out there, if you're starting a team, you would probably go with the Bengals' weapons, then the Bills, and the Chiefs' third. But Mahomes is such a difference maker; he can make any set of guys work. Uh, all right, I want to move on now. And uh, bring in our guest, who we mentioned, Eric Wood, uh, elder, Louisville, Buffalo, <laughs> color commentator, uh, connections galore, lover of Geta, like, author, author, man. He was former athletic uh, columnist. Like <laughs> this, Eric Wood was meant to be on this show this week. Super excited to bring him on. Uh, here's our conversation with Eric Wood. Former Elder Panther, Louisville Cardinal, nine years at, and 120 starts with the Buffalo Bills, Pro Bowl Center, current Bills radio color commentator, Eric Wood, joining us here. What's up? Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. You forgot former athletic columnist. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent a year writing for The Athletic. What, a, yes. what an awesome publication. Uh, really... I mean, they took over when they they came out and and, and poached so many great writers <laughs> from around the country that I got to speak to over the years. And then all of a sudden I'm getting requests from all these guys that I, I've gotten to know over the years. and They're all with The Athletic now. So uh, it's a pleasure to be on with you guys. Man, awesome. The connections just are are out of control. You you were you were perfect for this for this episode. I, I we got to start, first of all, with commenting that I mean, the GCL South is essentially <laughs> the greatest high school football conference in America. I don't think that's, that's really not up for debate, is it? No, I wouldn't say so, especially when you're talking about a four-team conference. I mean, the guys yeah. that they produced, when I was in the NFL, Elder had five guys in the league. Two were long snappers, but I, I, all I say on that is that just shows how smart we are because <laughs> we, we teach them young to, to play the, the best position that you can play in the NFL. <laughs> Not a bad basketball conference either. I don't know how much you follow Elder, but your alma mater, Elder, beat my alma mater, Fairfield, last night in overtime. A, a big tournament win at the Centos Center. A regular season tournament, obviously. But um, uh, did you play basketball in high school? I did. Moeller was very dominant when I was yeah. a junior and senior. They had six guys or seven guys go D1 in basketball off of just the uh, – <laughs> Uh, 04 basketball team so pretty pretty Jeez. pretty dominant i don't have any i don't have my mole I, I didn't get a letter 
when I went to Moeller, so I don't have a letter jacket necessarily. I have the jacket, but there's no letters on it, so it's kind of embarrassing. Somewhere it exists in like a basement uh, corner, but I, I should have pulled it out for this. Well, I'll say this. The kids' artwork behind you is uh, much more meaningful and impressive than that. I yeah, you're right. That. No, no, you're, you're exactly right. I have many more piles of it just off screen, as ever, I think we all do around Christmas time. It all piles right. up. So, yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I oh. think I got, them. I got mine over here. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> this is just a ploy to make sure that we have a place where all the artwork can go, and then the ones that we don't put up there can get thrown away, right? No like, <laughs> so we just have a place for the good ones. Uh, also, I got a comment on it. The Cincinnati folks will love this. You tweeting out about your Christmas tradition of Geta. I mean, you are just, you guys are true. You guys are true to the Cincinnati lifestyle. <laughs> we are. So I married a girl from Louisville. We live down here in Louisville now. Uh, but there's a lot of Cincinnati ties and Cincinnati traditions that have not left. We do skyline which we have down here not quite as good as the like the traditional bridgetown or glenway skyline i'm used to <laughs> but it gets the job done we do get a down here we just got a little roses which is pretty awesome and then yeah. um this year jeff ruby's down here did lunch specials during the holidays so we started a new christmas tradition that we'll start taking the kids to lunch down there which was incredible that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's you're 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 on brand. I I love it. The get now. I've had I one point I had because we have family from Philadelphia. Have you had Scrapple? Does Scrapple ever come into your life up in when you were in Buffalo at all? Have they try to sell this as like get up as better <laughs> than get up and it totally falsely sell it that way? Well, I haven't even tried it, but I I can say that every time I talk about get up, people will say, "Well, it's Scrapple," and I'm like, "Well, I don't know what Scrapple is. If it's the exact same <laughs> thing, it's really good." But I'll just stick with my. Uh, my my getup from either Don Haddings or uh, the the gleers we get down here at Kroger. That that's it. That's it. Scrapple. It can be defined as two steps below getup. Anybody ever <laughs> asked you exactly exactly gotcha. what it is? One thing I wanted to bring up to you that I really enjoy. I feel like, and you can speak to this as good as anybody. The Cincinnati and the Buffalo fan bases, mm. there's kind of a kinship of similarity there. And it was so interesting when they crossed paths with the Dalton to Boyd game, right? Uh, that sent Buffalo, of course, to the playoffs. What do you view it that way? Have you, as you've seen both and grown up in one and then played with the other, uh, similarities in the way they view their teams, care about their teams, small town, love their sports type concept? Well, I'll say this, being from Cincinnati and then living in Buffalo for a decade, Cincinnati has a much bigger feel to it. There's more going on. You have the Reds as well. Now in Buffalo, we have the Sabres, the hockey, professional hockey team. But to me, Cincinnati just feels a lot bigger. Now, where I grew up on the west side of Cincinnati reminded me a lot of the Orchard Park area that most of the players would live in. So it reminded me a lot of home. It's a blue-collar area, hardworking people everybody's friendly with everybody. You end up being best friends with all your neighbors and having a beer in garages on the weekend. It just reminded me a lot of the West side of Cincinnati. And so I was very comfortable up there based upon the fact that I was from Cincinnati. I do see the similarities. Now I'll say this, these are loyal fan bases. I mean, when I grew up in Cincinnati, the Bengals had the longest playoff drought in the NFL. I get drafted to the, uh, to the bills in 2009 <laughs> 
the Bengals go on a streak of making the playoffs, I believe, seven years in a row. Now, they couldn't win that first-round game, and everyone's complaining about that. I'm like, do we forget about the, the long <laughs> period of the playoff drought? And you're getting success each, each and every year, even though I know everybody's goal and intention is to win those playoff games, win a Super Bowl. Then I get drafted to the Bills, and I play in the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports. And so <laughs> – I see the similarities. I see the loyalty. And now that both teams are great, I, I just think it's good for football. I think it's great for the NFL when you have teams um, like the Bills, like the Bengals, like Kansas City, like true football towns that are good. You know, the other similarity there, because the, the the drought, Marvin ended that really, really long drought, but then they it continued without having the playoff win, and Zach comes in and, and changes that. And it was the same you were there for Sean's first year. That was Sean's first year, right? When you guys broke the drought, and just a, was that a was that a situation where you guys knew right away that the new coach coming in that it was a, a complete buy in, and and you could just feel that thing turning around almost immediately. You could, and you could tell when the 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 ownership changed with the Bills. Ralph Wilson yeah. did so much for for the city of Buffalo for the team. But when I got to the Bills, he was in very poor health. So you you don't have an owner in the building. They weren't very the the family just wasn't very present. So no one knows how much money we can spend. The Bagulas come in, top six richest owners in the NFL, and all of a sudden we have brand new facilities and we're going out and getting free agents. And okay, so now we have the buy-in from ownership, and there's continuity there. Then they bring in Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, and now there's alignment completely through the front office to the ownership of the team. Now, in 2017, when we broke the playoff drought, everyone thought we were tanking. We had traded away our previous three top draft choices in Marcel Darius, Sammy Watkins, and Ronald Darby. And our explanation we got from Sean McDermott was they don't have our right type of DNA. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense now when you see the way they built this team. But at the time, when you have veterans on the team who – sure as heck don't want to play in in a tank situation. We're thinking, get rid of us too if we're trying to go 0-16 here because I'm not trying to – I'm trying to win games this year. Mm. Well, Sean was right, and he's been right about most things since he took over at Buffalo, and he got the right types of guys in there that he knew he could coach, get full buy-in from, like like you mentioned, Jay. And since then, they had the huge – dead salary cap year of 2018 where they missed the playoffs. But if you take out that year, which was when they get rid of all those guys, you're going to have some huge dead cap money. But since then, they've really been able to take off. You know what? It's it's great to hear you say that because I think there are some coaches and GMs and ownership group that value DNA type mm-hmm. in players uh, everybody wants both. You want talent and DNA, but it's just unrealistic that you're going to have that across all 53. What percentage does your team value DNA versus talent, I think, is a really determining factor. And when you see teams rise up like the Bengals have, sure, you need the quarterback. You need Josh Allen. You need Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes. But the rest of it, I think it becomes, when people talk about culture, that's what it is. I mean, you've been in the locker room. You understand that these teams that have built these foundations that look like they're going to be sustainable, like the Bills and Bengals, I think, have, it's quarterback. But I think the culture of the DNA stuff is is as much a part of it as that, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. And I've played on really talented teams and didn't have the quarterback at the time, which doesn't allow you to take that next step as an organization. But both those teams hit on their quarterback. And then you just look at the types. Okay, so then you set the culture. And then you can really take some chances on guys. And guys will come in and kind of fit that 
fit to the culture. And Stefan Diggs has been nothing but a model citizen and teammate since the day he walked in the door in Buffalo and has been a perfect number one receiver for Josh Allen. Well, the MO of him coming out of Minneapolis was that he was selfish. He doesn't play that hard. Well, that's not what we've seen at all, but there's a culture set in place. And when I look at the guys that the bill, the, sorry, I'll say the Bengals have gone out and gotten free agency. I mean, especially along that defensive line. I mean, you look at guys like Hendrickson and you look at a DJ reader, those guys play hard every single snap and people follow behind them. And there's a number of other examples of guys that they've drafted or brought in in Cincinnati that just kind of fit that, Whatever whatever their DNA is that Zach Taylor's trying to the, – the Hayden Hurst. I mean, you, you lose C.J. Azuma mm-hmm. and everyone's like, how do we replace him? Okay, we're bringing in a first former first-round draft pick in Hayden Hurst who fits us perfect. And so I just – you know, from years of following the Bengals uh, as a kid growing up and then through college, it's amazing to see what kind of stability and, and staying power they truly have now – and when you get a quarterback like Burrow, it does become easier to track those free agents into a market like Cincinnati. You get a Josh Allen, it becomes easier to attract those free agents into a market like Buffalo. Well, with what you're talking about with culture and then the, just the fact that you have been in these locker rooms, I'm just curious. I mean, everybody's kind of had an eye on Buffalo and what's going on. And I know you're in Louisville. You're kind of removed from it. But everybody sees the the weather that's going on there and this total disruption and everything they try to do coming up on this this huge game. Uh, what kind of role does culture play in, in overcoming these kind of things? And how difficult is this logistical situation for them? Because I know how much you players are just creatures of habit. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you have a world-class facility with maybe the best rehabilitation room in the entire NFL, and the guys can't even get to the facility because of the snow. And this year's been crazy. In 2014, we had a game moved to Detroit. Prior to that, a game had been moved in Buffalo since since the 1970s. <laughs> and so, you know, it had been 40 years since that happened. Now, eight years later, you're seeing this just terrible run of weather and you know, thoughts and prayers to everyone in Buffalo because there's been so many people affected. I, I believe I saw the death total um, from this current storm at over 50 people because so many people have lost power. People are freezing to death. People can't get out of their houses. It's truly devastating what has happened up there. But it's been one thing after the other. And to me, this team has shown incredible resiliency throughout the year. Part of that's the leadership. Part of it's continuity to where, hey, we don't have to practice all week and we could show up in Detroit and beat a pretty good Browns team, you know, that, that that can play with anybody. I mean, yes, the Bengals didn't have DJ Reader for that game. They get the ball ran down their throats. But, I mean, Cleveland gave the Bengals their only loss in the last 10 games. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, this, this, this Bills team has shown resiliency this year. And I believe starting over the summer when there was the mass shooting um, uh, racially driven in Buffalo – this team has banded together and said, man, we want to do something special for this city. And they've only gotten more motivated through what they've dealt with lately in Buffalo. And, you know, to move it, you know, with how that has translated on the field, you know, expectations couldn't be higher for this team coming. It's like, you know, league favorites, everyone's hyping Buffalo, you know, Super Bowl or bust because of 13 seconds, everything that happened last year. How have they handled those expectations? And it does seem like there has been kind of a wave over the course of the year. Do do you feel like they're on another upswing with that? Yeah, there's going to be waves in every season. And you guys know that. I mean, 
even the Patriots undefeated season, it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows. They pull out a couple one score games in there that could have gone either way. And, it, and they might have a record similar to what the Bengals and bills are sitting with right now. Now the bills drop a heartbreaker against Miami. When Josh misses a throw that was open for the touchdown to win it, we fumble the ball in the end zone against Minnesota when you can essentially kneel it out and you fumble it and they get a touchdown and beat you. It, it you know, the Bills are very close to being a, really a one loss team on the season. But that being said, you lose those games and you're sitting here with three losses on the season. They've won five in a row and they've really done it without lighting it up through the air, which they've traditionally done throughout the season. And so the Bills are finding different ways to beat teams, whether it's weather-related, whether it's taking advantage of mismatches on defense, which is great to see. Now, you talk about expectations. Well, the the public, the media, everyone that follows the team, they they hold them to those same expectations. Each and every week, it's the defense stinks. The offense can't do anything. Ken Dorsey, first-year offensive coordinator, is holding them back. They're fourth in the league in scoring on offense and second in scoring defense. This is a very balanced, excellent football team. Also, first in the league in red zone defense um, against a Bengals offense that is really good in the red zone. I I think that's going to be a a key thing at play on Monday night. Um, You mentioned it, that Minnesota loss. at that time, were you? That was their second in a row. That and they they lose two in a row coming off of the the big win against Kansas City. I mean, did it feel like that was just a blip and that, that this was going to be fine, or did that feel like maybe it could be the start of a, a downhill slide? No, it felt like it would just be a blip. One because I know Sean McDermott, and I know how he'll keep it on the rails in Buffalo. I, just having played for him and being friends with him for six years now. Mm-hmm. Also, you brought up red zone. For a majority of the season, the Bills were struggling scoring touchdowns in the red zone, and they were turning the ball over on the highest percentage of drives in the NFL. Highest percentage of drives ending in a turnover in the NFL, and they were bottom five in red zone touchdown percentage. When I, If you show me just a stat sheet after a game and have me predict a score or who wins the game, the first two things I'm going to is red zone scoring percentage on touchdowns and turnovers. I don't care how many yards you get. I don't care about the time of possession. Sacks and negative plays can sometimes play a factor as well because then you're going to be playing behind the chains. But the Bills, were they had two fixable things holding them back. And I knew that with the amount of talent they have and just the law of averages that generally happens with turnovers, that those would come down. They did, and that's where you see the Bills on a five-game win streak. I want to ask you specifically about Josh Allen this year, um, who obviously has been uh, uh, played on an elite level that very few are on. But it's it, you've sort of again the wave, I guess, of he seems like he's had to adjust his game. How has he evolved, and and what adjustments has he had to make in his game as this year has gone on? Yeah, so he starts the year on absolute fire. Maybe started taking too many chances with the football, kind of just riding that wave. You know, you got the green light as a shooter, and maybe mm-hmm. he's his personal green light was maybe a little too much. Um, and that's that's me talking, not him. You know, he would just say I, I made a couple of bad decisions here and there, miss a throw. Maybe it's a miscommunication with a wide receiver. Regardless, uh, the turnovers got to him. There's also, you know, I've seen lately about talking about Josh's stats since that Kansas City win, 
Well, there's been a lot of factors there. You know, it's a it's a week without practice prior to Cleveland, and they run for 250 yards that game. Against Chicago last week, it's minus 20, and they run for 260 yards. You play the Jets at home, and it's sleeting. You go to New England, it's 20 degrees with 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts. There's a lot of factors that play in there. Josh will tell you all he cares about is wins and losses. Now, he is hard on himself, and he wants to perform to help the team win. But, man, it's – it's a lot of fun covering a team with a guy like Josh Allen, which I'm sure you guys can feel the same exact way about Joe Burrow because as many primetime games as the Bills get to play, I get to catch a lot of Bengals games as well. Most of my friends are all Bengals fans, and so I see enough Bengals fans, to, uh, Bengals games to understand how much fun it is to watch Joe Burrow as well. And you want to think about the gunslinger attitude of, of Josh Allen. He makes up for those turnovers with touchdowns. You also have a Buffalo defense that is one of the best at taking the ball away. And now here comes Trey Davius White back into the action. I'm I'm really curious what, you know, Pro Bowl corner coming off the ACL. He's been bat, what, four games. Um, are they traveling him? Are we going to see White against Chase pretty much the entire game Monday night? It'll be interesting. So what the Bills do from a schematic standpoint on defense is uh, they're going to play nickel defense 99% of the time. And it's going to look very similar the entire time. Occasionally, they'll travel Tredavious White. But even if they start the game traveling Tredavious White, I would expect the next series they don't. They want Mm -hmm. Zach Taylor to make an adjustment. And so they rock and roll safeties. They start in press coverage. They bounce off of press coverage. Occasionally, they'll fire their nickel, Taron Johnson, who's an excellent football player. Just like Hilton, one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL for the Bengals, Taron Johnson, very similar players. For the Bengals fans out there listening in that don't watch a lot of Bills football, if you like watching Hilton come off the edge and and, and play coverage, you're going to like Taron Johnson as well. He's, he's easy to root for, small school guy, Weber State guy, uh, comes in and starts as a rookie, just an awesome football player. So they'll stay in nickel defense, and then they'll mess with coverages. If they travel Tredavious White, you can expect Dane Jackson or their first-round corner, Kyrie Elam, who rotate in and out. You you can expect safety help to their side, and occasionally they'll say, okay, we'll put Tredavious White pressed into the boundary. You know, there's not as much space over there. Okay, we'll roll coverage away, and so we assume that Tredavious can take away that side of the field or that single receiver. They mess with coverages as much as anybody in the NFL, understanding that when you play teams like Burrow, Mahomes, you know, you name it, the big time quarterbacks, if you choose to just consistently blitz them, you're going to get burnt. And that's not Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier style of defense. It's bend, but don't break. Let's let our pass rush get there. And let's let's try and confuse Joe Burrow post snap as opposed to say, we're just going to line up and beat you. We're going to show you exactly what we're doing. Um, Before I get you out of here real quick. Uh, we have a, a book that we contributed to about Joe Burrow. I have over my shoulder. Is that your book over your shoulder too? Yeah, that's my book. It's called Tackle What's Next. It chronicles uh, my journey out of the NFL, tells a, a number of stories from my life. But I started a podcast called What's Next with Eric Wood when I was trying to figure out what was next for me. So many people poured into me. A number of Cincinnati people were guests on the shows. Jeff Ruby's, Anthony Munoz, Dave Lapham is the guest <laughs> for this week. A little mm-hmm. Bills, Bengals preview, but mostly focusing on lap story and all the similarities we have through parallels in our career and our majors and everything else. Uh, but Sean McDermott did the forward for the book as well, which meant a lot to me. Um, but it, it's, it's a personal development book. Uh, perfect to start the new year with, 
But for the football fans out there, they'll get a kick out of it as well. You say lap story, and I just think of all the lap stories <laughs> I have heard over the year from him. And I'm like, well, if, if lap stories, I hope you've allotted some time for lap to rip off all his stories because it's a long. That's a long one. A yeah, long we one. didn't get to everything I had planned to get to in the time that that I asked him. <laughs> Uh, to dictate to me. I also appeared on his podcast in the trenches yesterday. So yeah. it was a lot of fun. I hope to catch up with him this weekend and not just uh, up at the game. I mean, you know, with me transitioning into broadcasting post football, I started working at a, my first ever game. I called a college football game for Fox, did some pregame shows, went to ESPN and called college football games for two years, mainly with ACC network. And then throughout that time, I'm calling the bills games on the radio well, I grew up listening to Lapham on the radio and for him to still be doing it 30 something years later, like that led me to think like this could be a pretty fun gig. And we've had a lot of conversations. Okay. Let's say you go chase that national broadcast gig. Let's say I get on with CBS. Okay. Well, I have the confidence to think I can make it work, but I'm realistic. I'm one quarterback away from losing my job and now I gave up a gig that is so much fun you get to be around the team it's great for my soul to be around the Bills still and be around football so Lap has been a, an inspiration and a mentor to me whether we talk every week or once a year yeah Lap is a, a special dude in the Bengals organization and uh, mm -hmm. I hope very soon may, maybe you'll do the drive up Louisville when he gets his name in the ring of honor because that thing needs to happen soon too because yeah. he deserves it I absolutely uh, will and, and let me say this because because he does take some grief for his excitement on air let me remind you you're comparing him to national broadcasters he is the Bengals radio right. analyst as I'm the Bills radio analyst it's okay to get excited it's okay to get upset now I think people underestimate laps football knowledge you know he, he's a guy that started every position along the offensive line knows what everybody's responsibility is on the field and so I mean he's an incredible ambassador for the team and and you take someone for granted that maybe has been there for so long and you don't realize what kind of drop off there could be if there wasn't a Dave Lapham calling the games do, now, do you have you pulled from his style then, or do you just scream <laughs> at big moments occasionally, just to drop in a something like that, just to to, to continue to be that kind of uh, you know real, true, genuine, passionate voice? No, not necessarily. <laughs> I, I haven't. Now, our our play by play guy has been with the Bills for maybe forty years, yeah. and so he started as a color guy, then transitioned and took uh, Van Miller's spot in the play by play spot, and so. He is a little bit more excitable, and I let him do his thing and have some fun. Uh, the one time that I was talking over him in a in a call was there was a team that onside kicked to the Bills. The Bills had the lead. Micah Hyde, one of my buddies, catches the ball and takes off for the touchdown. And I'm saying, go down, go down. The game is over. <laughs> like there's no sense in prolonging this game. I also probably wanted to get out in the beer uh, in the parking lot and have a beer with my buddies <laughs> and end this podcast because the game's over. But I'm saying go down, go down. It created the biggest Twitter debate about why you should or shouldn't score a touchdown. Let Micah have some fun. I'm like, look, that's a buddy of mine. Yeah. But uh no, I haven't I haven't kind of got that uh yelling and screaming, go, go. I have I haven't I haven't yet. Yeah, Lap has that perfected. Uh, well, Eric, thank you for taking some time to, to yes. chat with us this week on almost the Eric Wood game, right? You just get a you get a drive this week. You don't have to go through any of the airport trouble that's going <laughs> on out there. Just a just a quick run up seventy one for you. So uh, I, I know it's gonna be fun for you, your family. I'm assuming you guys have had this one circled uh, for a while on your calendar. 
Yeah, this is as close as it gets to a home game for me. So this this is an easy one for me. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be up there Sunday. I got an appearance down at the banks during the day, getting together with some buddies at Montgomery Inn for dinner, probably hit Price Hill Chili for breakfast on Monday morning, <laughs> and then get prepped for the game. Boy, you are speaking to the true Cincinnatians' yes, hearts absolutely. here today, no doubt. <laughs> Checking all the boxes. Uh, Eric, appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Yes. Have a safe drive up, and look forward to uh, seeing you up at Paycor this weekend. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Eric. Eric. All right. Thanks to Eric Wood uh, for mm. joining us. Great to have him. And, uh, man, I got to say that so we actually did a get a verse scrapple taste test one year uh, with uh, some family relatives in Philadelphia. Set them side by side. They're used to scrapple. We brought get up, brought scrapple, put them your blind taste test style on two separate plates. Get a blue scrapple away and that's amongst people that grew up with it in philadelphia i mean it wasn't even close it was like 11 to 2 vote so that very unofficial straw poll of people i knew that day tells me it's not a contest getta is is far better and that needs to be on the record getta and lapham i mean it doesn't get more cincinnati than that and i I wanted to ask him if he'd reached out to lapham and you know kind of similar paths i I love that he brought that up and that the the connections there and uh just perfect you're right he's he was meant to be on this podcast today once uh when we had that so cincinnati when i was at the inquirer we did a live show on the banks i believe it was the the day before the flying pig or something and there were a bunch of people there. It was right near the Skyline booth. So we had, there's a big line of people. And so we were petitioning people to come up for what they think is the most Cincinnati thing, right? And we would judge what the winner was. Someone came up and said this. And to this day, I say, this is the most Cincinnati thing ever. And it's grandma's getta. Everybody in this town has somebody whose grandma made the most delicious getta they've ever had, and they swear by it to this day. That is the most Cincinnati thing because uh, you, you can't you can't get more Cincinnati. Forget high schools, forget saying police, forget all the stuff that people like to say. Forget skyline. Grandma's getta is the most Cincinnati thing you could possibly talk about. Is I mean I know getta is Cincinnati based, but is. I don't know. I've I've had it a handful of times. I didn't grow up on it. I don't know how many people actually eat getta all the time. And since it's more of a oh, West well, you Side can't, thing, you can't eat it all the time. Not all the time. Regular, regularly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, regularly. I, I know my fa- my family it was regular. That's for sure. Uh, but that's I've, I've many I have many getta takes. Uh, on that note, let's get to Arby's, Jay. Yeah. Uh, let's 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 talk about any. Uh, any related Bengals insight extras and stories? What do you got? So I was talking to to Ted Karish yesterday about the Leo Collins injury and just he normally talks the day after game, even though this was a few days after the game. And I was off to the side and I was kind of in Alex Kappa's way. And he came to his locker. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. And then I don't know if you guys remember, but I was the one that posed the question to him about, have you ever been on a team that went through an entire season without with all five starting offensive linemen starting every game? And so I'm sitting there listening to Ted talk and Alex leans over and yelled, not yells, whispers in my ear, you jinxed us. And I was like, I, I don't believe in jinxes. I, I, and I've, I have to hold myself back when everyone some someone says i jinx something on 
Twitter to, to say grownups don't believe in jinxes. And I'm flashing through my head. What do I say to Alex Kappa? Do I tell him grownups, grownups don't believe in jinxes? This guy could throttle me. So I just kind of roll my eyes. I was like, yeah, you know, I didn't say anything. And then he just kind of like gave me a little pat and said, I'm just kidding. But I, I mean, for a second, I really thought he was being serious that he was blaming me for LC's injury and jinxing them just because I brought up the stat, which by the way, 61 teams since they went to an NFL 16 game schedule, uh, 61 teams in history have had all five offensive linemen start 16 games. Bengals did it for 15, almost got there. Almost got there. I have an Arby's that is very similar, Jay. <laughs> I have been taking on heat about my back shoulder story being yeah. something that has gone to set. Everybody knows now about the back shoulder. You jinxed the back shoulder. Joe was great at it. They missed in Tampa Bay. Now this interception, pick six, trying to hit a back shoulder <laughs> to chase. This is your fault. How dare you do this? I had to make sure that was not a back shoulder throw. It was not a back shoulder call. There was nothing about it that had to do with the back shoulder. Got that confirmed. So everybody back up. <laughs> Come on, man. I, it was, it was, uh, there, there still can be something they're great at. And it looked like it could have been a back shoulder. I think somebody mentioned it mm -hmm. as a back shoulder. It was not a back shoulder. So everybody, everybody's calm down. This is not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> remain calm dude uh so i just wanted to make sure that that's on the record uh that that was not a back shoulder pick six it was a a, a far different set of circumstances that that led to the pick six did, were, were you told it was not a back shoulder did, did they go farther and say it was joe's fault or jamar's fault was that allowed um it was allowed we'll leave it at that <laughs> it's and nobody ever wants to go into those details of pointing right. blame or anything but you do talk through some you know the the logistics of how all these things work but it was confirmed not a back shoulder and that's really all that i that's the most important it, it's about me it's, yeah. it's that's all that i really care about um all right now it's time jay for us to go into the Bengals growler bet it's very important jay was it was easy this week it ended up being easy burrow with the quick touchdown we have lots of close submissions time a game is rarely easy because there's so many variables but when we gave a 20 second window either way you knew we were going to have some or someone was going to win and um it, it came quicker than we had a lot of early guesses, but it came really quick. 12.31 of the first quarter. I had guessed 101 first quarter. You went 8.22 second quarter. So I snapped your four-game growler winning streak and uh, closed to within 7.5. I need to win the Buffalo and Baltimore growler to, to force overtime in the playoffs. Well, before we continue, I do have to, you know, I, I ask for you guys, if you could please be creative mm. in your email subject headers to get Growler in there so I can find it when I search. And the combination of Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, the Patriots and Belichick, you guys really outdid yourself on this one. I'm just going to read through a few of my favorites as we kind of, as I go through the emails here that are in front of us. Um I like I liked uh O Growler Knight. Uh 
the I liked the How the Growler Stole Christmas. I liked Uncomet, Uncupid, Ungrowler, and Vixen. Uh, I enjoyed secretly videotaping Growler Phillips. Nice one there. Yeah. Like that with an ode to the Patriots. Um, Growler to the World. Uh, we have Growler. I hardly knew her. How about this is one of my favorite. This one, this one from Michael Kreesap. I liked Gray Ile Growler. It must be Italian. Shout out to A Christmas Story. Uh, well done on, on that one. Uh, we have Nicholas Corser. God rest ye merry Growler bets. Well done on that one. Like that. Um, we have a fairly good Growler bet from David Murphy. Shout out to the Tampa game last week. A low ball PSI growler from Tyler Ham. Well done. Uh, and that was lots, lots of good ones. Uh, before we go to the winners, I want to give a special shout out who to really is like our growler bet MVP. Uh, and that's Ray White, who really takes a lot of pride in these. And the subject header is Twas the Night Before Growlers. Um, little did I know when I opened it up, there would be an entire uh, poem to read, and it would be very good. So here we go. Can't wait. Ray White. Twas the night before growlers when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The steins were hung by the bar with care in hopes that Daner Claus soon would be there. The whites were nestled all snug in their bed while visions of gritties danced in their heads. Molly in her kerchief and Ray in his cap had just settled down for a long pregame nap. When out in the back there arose such a clatter, Ray sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window, Ray went feeling feisty, tearing through its coverage like the lethal Joe Shiesty. The moon of the breast of the new fallen snow gave the luster of prime time to objects below, when what to Ray's wondering eyes should appear but a group of reporters, all drinking beer. Their leader played cornhole. He was bald and tall. Ray knew in a moment it must be St. Paul. Downing drinks and prep for the game, Paul whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dan Horde, now Lapham, now Egger and Hobson. On Lisco, on Rapine, on Contepelli and Morrison. To Gillette Stadium, let's watch some football. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. Finishing their cups, they went without gripes, packing into a sleigh covered in stripes. And as they flew away, Ray could hear Paul say, Merry Growlers to all, and to all a who day. The effort is, is amazing yeah, I don't, from Ray on this I one. don't care what his guess is. He gets a growler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no question. Excellent effort. Uh, a plus on that one. Shout out to Ray for coming through and putting the time into that. And sitting around uh, having drinks the night before a game doesn't sound like us at all. Jay. No. Well, there's usually not Very sitting around. That's true. That's true. Very, very out of character. All right. So on to the actual growler bet winners there. So we screwed this up on the YouTube show, Jay. So yeah. that just means Merry Christmas, more growlers, because Brian Ramstetter, we had you as closest, but I had the wrong time in my head. So I thought that nobody was closer, but in actuality, Brian Ramstetter, 1221 was nine seconds away. Or Yes. He's 1222, nine seconds away. And so we're going to give you growlers. Congratulations. Nick Corser, twelve twenty-five. Even closer. You get one too, just because I screwed it up on the YouTube show. But our actual winner, RC Sprague, twelve twenty-eight in the first quarter. Wow. Hell of a guess. Well done by you. You get growlers too. You guys can come down to the live show at 50 West on New Year's Day. 
Again, 12.30, we do that. Come down, collect your growlers, or it'll be a six-pack probably, uh, and have some drinks with us. Or email me if you have someone else who you're sending in your place. Thank you guys all for participating. This was a fun one. RC didn't even need the extra time. I mean, a three-second, that would have won on most time of games. That's, that's impressive. Yes, very, very well done. Uh, all right, let's get Jay. Do you have a run pass or boot? You know, I don't. I uh, <laughs> I completely kicked that. I graded last week's. Um, we we went with uh, Mac Jones pass attempts, uh, New England red zone percentage, or New England third down percentage, and the red zone percentage. They went one of two uh, for fifty percent. Uh, Mac Jones had thirty three attempts, and they were forty six percent on third down. So. Uh, I ran with red zone. You booted red zone. So I, I took the win there. I was so excited by that. I just forgot to come up with a new one. That's all right. Uh, grade it out. And uh, we'll, we, look, we have so many damn shows this week, Jay. We have plenty <laughs> yeah. of time to sneak in more run passer boots. Not worried about that. So uh, again, Friday, uh, we'll be in with our preview show. So keep an eye out for that. Then I guess technically another Sunday, but I I don't I never know what direction I'm gonna go with Tyler Dunn. So TD's great. Um, if you've ever heard me on his podcast before, loves big picture conversations, love deep loves deep football conversations, and you know the human from the human side of things in particular. He's an incredible profile writer on top of many other things. Mm. Gonna be great to have TD uh, with us down at Fifty West. Have a couple of beers. We hope you'll come on down, join us, say hello, all those things. Gonna be great. Really looking forward to that event. Hopefully we'll see you down there. And then, of course, we'll have the walkout ready for you when you wake up on Tuesday morning after Monday Night Football, Bengals, Bills. Third, I saw this uh, that third time in NFL history two teams have played that have at least 11 wins on Monday Night Football. Just the third time it's ever happened. I mean, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a big number. I would be stunned if it wasn't the highest rated Monday Night Football game of the year. Um, and I think it'll be up there with some of the highest rated games of the year in total because it is going to be must-see TV at Paycor. Um, all right, that'll wrap us up. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Eric Wood for joining us. Thanks to Mo Egger, as always, for coming through. And to all of you, uh, hope you're having a happy holiday season. And uh, we'll talk to you on Friday. Have a good one, everyone.